I had it in my head to begin Chronicles today. Um, and because I have a hankering to go through Chronicles, I have an itch. And, uh, but I thought before we do that, I want to touch on something a little bit different. Um, and so we're going to do Daniel. Uh, that's where we're heading for uh, uh, right now. We're going to touch a couple things that are in Chronicles that relate to Daniel uh, at the very end of the book. But Chronicles will wait a little while, probably for early next year um, or something along those lines. But we're going to move into Daniel. And the title in the, in the Hebrew Old Testament is simply Daniel, as it is for most of the prophets. My title for this book is The Captivity and Apocalypse of Daniel. And I'm going to defend that because that's the two halves of the book. Uh, the first six chapters deal with the captivity of Daniel, and the last six chapters deal with revelations given to Daniel while in captivity. Um, and he, I believe, Daniel invents two, or is the, one, the first one to do, two very important things. He is the original source of apocalyptic literature. That is, writing, sacred writing, that talks about the end of the world. Daniel does it, and then two of his younger contemporaries pick up on it immediately, and they are Ezekiel and the prophet Zechariah. They're the three Old Testament books that really talk about end-of-the-world prophecies. But Daniel is the first one. And I'm going to leave it at Daniel's feet to have invented this form of literature because it is unlike anything else that had ever happened uh, uh, in the Bible up to this point. Also, Daniel is the very first person that I know of ever recorded in history, and certainly the first one in Scripture, to ever use the word Scripture. It's never called that apart from in Daniel. Um, and it's where Daniel says that he was searching the scriptures and learned from the scriptures when the end of the Babylonian captivity would take place. And what's fascinating to me is that the scriptures Daniel was reading were written by a man younger than he was. It was by Jeremiah. Uh, actually, I don't know about younger. Maybe they were born the same year. Maybe they were circumcised the same day for all I know. But uh, 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 there are three men in, the, in, 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 in Judah. Zechariah, or not, not, not Zechariah yet. Um, I'm sorry, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, and Habakkuk, maybe the prophet Nahum also, who are still around when the exile begins. And their writings talk about that, about the beginning of the exile. But they don't, none of them seem to go into exile that we know of. But Daniel does, and Ezekiel does. And so they go into exile. Ezekiel has a little bit of this, uh, this apocalyptic stuff as well, although his is more what is heaven like than what is the end of the world going to be like. Um, and so uh, Daniel is, and, and so evidently there was, communication back and forth between Babylon and Judah of writings of scripture. The people of Judah seem to have known about Daniel, and Daniel knew about things written by Jeremiah, and Jeremiah never goes to Babylon. Jeremiah 
um, was, was, was in handcuffs, in chains. This is in Jeremiah 40, forgive me, 44, uh, something like that, where Jeremiah is actually chained up and ready to go to Babylon in the, in the, in the captivity. And there is a Babylonian officer uh, of some sort, I think it's Nebuzaradan, and he recognizes Jeremiah. What are you doing here? And he goes and unlocks him and lets him go. Uh, not the only one to have that happen to him, but it happens to Jeremiah. Shortly after that, Jeremiah and his secretary Baruch get caught up in a, a whole John Wilkes Booth scenario. Uh, uh, you guys all know who John Wilkes Booth was and who he shot and so forth. And, and after, after Booth jumped onto the stage at Ford's Theater, interrupting the play, remember what the play was? Our American cousin. And uh, he jumped onto the stage, broke his leg, and said, Six Semper Tyrannus, thus always be it to tyrants. The, uh, the, was it the South Carolina motto, state motto, something like that. Um, and he ran and ran off and was gone for a, a while. You know, uh, uh, this was Good Friday. Uh, Lincoln dies Easter Saturday, and Booth is caught later that week, sometime Easter week. And, uh, and looks at his hands and says, according to the record, useless, useless. I think he said Eustace, Eustace, which is Latin for justice, justice. Um, I've always debated that, and, but who's going to take me seriously? So anyway, uh, um, but uh, while Booth took people along with him when he did that, and that's what happens to Jeremiah. The, for whatever reason, uh, after King... Jehoiakim, Jehoiakin, and now Zedekiah were carried off into exile. Um, they set up a, a, a governor from the royal family as governor of Judea, this province of Babylon. His name is Gedaliah, and he's assassinated by some Jews. I have no idea why they assassinated Gedaliah. But as they're running away, they happened to crash into Jeremiah and Baruch, his secretary, and Jeremiah had just prophesied, whatever you do, don't go down to Egypt. And where do they make Jeremiah come to? Egypt. Jeremiah ends up at Tophanes in, in northwestern, northeastern Egypt, and where there is a duplicate, a miniature temple. I say miniature. It was, this, it was the, a, a, a copy of Solomon's temple, of a different kind of stone, half size, which means it was exactly the same dimensions as the old tabernacle. And Etophanes, and evidently they were doing sacrifices and praying there, and uh, one of my sons told me about 10 years ago that on a children, one of those, one of those children's science shows, uh, was it Mystery Hunters or something like that, uh, they said that the people there at, the, at, the, at that ancient and now crumbling copy of the temple in Egypt, they have the Ark of the Covenant. And they, they, they bring it out in parades once a year, even. So I don't know. Is it there? Is it not there? I don't know. I'm just saying they, they've done that. So um, uh, anyway, Daniel read the writings of Jeremiah because God told Jeremiah how long the captivity would last, which was 70 years. And Daniel figures out, oh, it's going to be 70 years. And lo and behold, after Daniel's been in Egypt for 70 years, and I believe around the age of 85, 
then people started going back again. I don't think Daniel was very old when he was captured and taken. I think 15 for Daniel. And, I, and that also connects him to Mary because I think she was probably about 15 also. Uh, were you here for the Luke 1 class where I, I mentioned another connection between Mary and Daniel? Same angel comes, Gabriel comes and says, you who are highly favored. So uh, I don't know if that's just something that, that, oh, Gabriel, you always say that. Yeah, I don't know, whatever it is. Although Gabriel didn't say that to Zechariah, uh, John's father. Let's go on with Daniel. Let's get into the, some of the books. So the author, I maintain, is Daniel himself. He at least seven times in the book says, I, Daniel. Uh, between chapters 8 and 12. He keeps saying, I, Daniel, I, Daniel, I, Daniel. Just like in Revelation, we have a lot of quotes that say, I, John. I, John, was worshiping on the island of Patmos, and it was on the Lord's Day and so forth. Tells you who the author is. And so Daniel does that too. And the date, and we could spend a month on this topic. But the dates Daniel gives are from the third year of King Jehoiakim to the second year or third, second, third, uh, one of those two years of Cyrus uh, of Babylon, the reign of Cyrus. So 605 BC to 537 BC. Um, and I have six points about that on your handout because 20th century scholarship, biblical scholarship, especially out of Europe and the eastern United States is garbage. Is, in, 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 in John Wilkes Booth's words, useless, useless. Um, that was the time period when the Graf-Wellhuysen theory of four sources of the, of the Pentateuch, the JEDP theory, the Yahwist, the Elohist, the Deuteronomist, and the priestly source were, were put together sometime in the 200s, the Maccabean period, uh, to create the Old Testament. And, they, and, and those same folks thought that Daniel was probably written. One of them gives so tight a time frame, I thought, do, do, do you have somebody's calendar? Because I think he says, it was, was it S.R. Driver, who says between 187 and 183 B.C., like, wow, that's a really specific. And considering the, the, the guys at Qumran already had copies of Daniel in 185 BC, that's unlikely to me. Uh, I think Daniel wrote when Daniel wrote. And there are a couple of things. I have six points that are just theological points um, and a couple of, of literary things. For one thing, we have the testimony of the book. Daniel says, I, Daniel, at least seven times with regard to the date and the, and therefore he's one who's writing. First-hand knowledge of people and events otherwise unknown. There are two guys, two famous guys named Darius in, in Babylonian history. The one that all of the historians and archaeologists know is not the biblical Darius. And they say, was Daniel just mixed up? Did he just take a tradition? Well, no, Daniel never says Darius the Babylonian. What does Daniel always call him? Darius the, the Mede. Yeah, Daniel knew that this guy, this Darius, had, had a, was from a different people. And 
So was he Gubaru or something? We'll talk about that when we get to him. I'm not going to bother with that now. And then yeah, Daniel uses a form of literature, apocalyptic or end times literature, that seems to have its origin right now with Ezekiel and Zechariah adopting it shortly after Daniel's time. But I think Daniel's the guy who created this, um, this form. Then we have a form of Hebrew and Aramaic that speak to an earlier date. Um, I better tell you right now, I, I was going to get to a different slide to do this, but the book of Daniel is written in two languages, just like the book of Ezra. So half of Daniel is written in Hebrew and half in Aramaic. And I, 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 we'll talk about this more, but the Aramaic that Daniel uses is not the Eastern or Western Aramaic of the late Persian period around the two or three hundreds BC when the Maccabees were around. Daniel uses Imperial Aramaic, undivided Aramaic from a much earlier date that suggests that Daniel was writing with a language that was much earlier than the date people used to assign to him. Um, also, uh, uh, some of the technical terms in chapter three include some Greek loanwords that are so ancient that when the Greek translation of the, of the Old Testament was made, um, it was, I think it was ordered by Alexander the Great around the year 200. They, the, the translators didn't know what these words were. And they were loan words from ancient Greek. And these guys who spoke Greek didn't know what these words meant. They're names of musical instruments. And so we'll talk about, you know, what's the difference between a lute and a zither and a kithara. And, but they didn't know. In fact, one, one guy said drum and things like that. So we'll, we'll talk about that. But um, obsolete technical terms usually points to a, a document being so old that they just don't know. When I ask my younger associates to define the word vouchsafe, they don't know. They just have no idea. Um, how many of us at least remember saying vouchsafe in church once in a while? Vouchsafe, O oh Lord. It means permit or please let this happen. It's a sign of a subjunctive or an optative. And, and uh, yeah, so vouchsafe. Um, that's not that long ago, by the way. When did the old hymnal stop being used? When did the new hymnal come into use? Do you remember? The new hymnal? 91. 90, 91, 92. I was at Northwestern College when the new hymnal came in. And, uh, you know, we had been using TLH, and that's where there are still vouchsafes in the, in the TLH. Well, and then finally, fragments of Daniel found among the Dead Sea Scrolls show that already in the Maccabean period, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were, were copied, Daniel was already accepted as the word of God and so popular that the, I think the Qumran monks, or whatever they were, had at least five copies of it. So that means it was not, you know, written last year. Not even 10 years ago. It's not like this was the Harry Potter of its time. You know, let's all have a copy. It was old and well-received. Okay. Any questions about that stuff, about the date? My assumption of the date. So I'm assuming Daniel wrote it when Daniel lived. All right. So chapters 1 to 6 is the captivity. Chapters 7 to 12 is the apocalypse. And the... This was, this was fascinating to, to kind of put together. So the Babylonian captivity's beginning took 21 years. Just the deportation 
The captivity itself lasted 70 years, and it's interesting that there are three returns, just as they were th there were three exiles. So one group went, and then 70 years later, a group came back, and, uh, and then a, sh a few years after the first group went, another group went, and 70 years later, that group came back, and so they were overlapping exiles. Some of the exiles may only have been in Babylon for 50 years, and some of them may have had to stay for 90 it just depended on which exile you went in and which one you got to come back in. Um, just one of those things, but the overlap. But back in 609, uh, the Egyptians, uh, Nico, Pharaoh Nico of Egypt, puts Jehoiakim on the throne. Josiah had been killed in battle with Egypt. Do you remember this? In 609. And Josiah's, uh, I think, son Jehoahaz is there for just a few months. And late in the year, the Egyptians decide to put their own puppet king, another son of Josiah named Eliakim, and they change his name to Jehoiakim, put him on the throne of, 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 of Judea, and he becomes kind of a puppet king of the Egyptians. But then, in 605, is the Battle of Carchemish, and the, and the Egyptians are defeated by the Babylonians, by the crown prince of Babylon, his dad's name was Nabopolassar, the king of Babylon, and he was Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he defeats the Egyptians, and he decides, I now own everything that the Egyptians owned, and so he takes, he's going to take Jehoiakim and make him his prisoner, because he was a, an Egyptian puppet. So he wants to take him back home. So he shackles Jehoiakim up. However, we're never told in any book of the Bible that Jehoiakim when he was manacled, actually went. So maybe he didn't go right then and there. Maybe like Jeremiah, he got released. He goes eventually, but not right away. And he's on the throne for 11 years, and this was only three years into his reign. So maybe he did get to stay in, in, Israel, in Jerusalem for a while. But the first exiles are deported in 605, including Daniel. In 598, Jehoiakim's son who had been seven years old when his dad became king. Now he's 18, and he be Can you imagine my son Peter becoming king of Judah? He's 18. He's got the hair for it. He looks, he's, he looks pretty cool, yeah. Uh, so Jehoiakim uh, ends up on the throne, but only for a couple of months, actually. That looks like it's two years on the calendar there, but it's really three and a half months or something like that. Um, but during that time, when Jehoiakim, and court, uh, uh, is the second exile, and that's when Ezekiel is taken to Babylon, is in the second exile, when Ezekiel then is, Ezekiel was looking forward to becoming a priest, but he never got to be a priest. He, he moans he, in, the, in the opening chapter of his book, I was 30 years old. It would have been the day he got to start being a priest. It's his birthday. You know, happy birthday to you. And he's in Babylon. He can't serve at the... And what does God do instead? Well, you can't be a priest. I'm going to make you a prophet instead. And uh, so Ezekiel becomes a prophet you know, there with the second exiles. The, um, where is it? Is it the Ulai Canal? Um, it's a couple months since I read it. I think that's right. Uh, a couple months since I read Ezekiel. Then, uh, and by the way, Jehoiakim, also called Jeconiah, to some Jews, is, seems to be the last legitimate king of Judah because 
they still tell time later according to the year of the exile of Jehoiakim. They ignore Zedekiah as, as like a pretender. That, that's just interesting, that, that, that little, little personal detail. And then Zedekiah, who is Jehoiakim's kid brother. He was 10 when Jehoiakim became king. Now he's uh, in his 20s and Jehoiakim's uncle and he becomes the king. Is he 25, I think? And, uh, and then at the end of his 11-year reign, finally it's the fall of Jerusalem, Jeremiah and the third group of exiles are captured. The third group of exiles are transported to, um, to uh, Babylon. By the way, I think it's in Ezekiel's transportation with Jehoiakim that the ancestors of Mordecai and Esther were taken. We, we, we learn that in the book somewhere. I think it's chapter 2 of Esther. But Jeremiah was also captured, but of course he was freed and carted off to Egypt. But the third group of exiles then goes in 586. So 21 years in all from, uh, for the three exiles to, take, to, to get going. Yes? Right. I don't want to leave an army behind in this country that was rebelling against me. So I'm going to take, all, so I'm going to take a couple hundred young men the first time. The second time, uh, they took 10,000. And the third time, uh, after the fall of Jerusalem, to punish Jerusalem for resisting that long, they took another group. So each time it was punitive. The first one was almost um, symbolic. I've defeated you. I've defeated Egypt. You were a puppet of Egypt. I'm going to take away the cream of your crop. That's when Daniel goes. But then you're still resisting me. There was a rebellion under Jehoiakim and 10,000 gone. I'm going to leave behind the old, the lame, the crippled. But your best and your brightest are gone. And then, you know, 11 years later, you're still fighting against me. And so I'm, and now, now almost everybody else goes with just a remnant left behind. That's the, from the Babylonian standpoint, that's the why. Yeah, Beth? Sure, yeah. 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 Yeah, so. Spiritually, the events leading up to the captivity are basically these. Um, there's idolatry or apostasy. Remember, the word apostasy means falling away. In, uh, in, in Judah, that's talked about in Second Chronicles in the last chapter. And then they were beginning to move into a formalistic rather than formal worship. Formal worship is what I would call liturgical worship, what we do on Sunday. They were adopting the formal worship not because it pointed to God or to Christ, but because it was, they thought that by working the work, by going through the motions, they were pleasing God. So formalistic, meaningless worship. And God will say in Jeremiah 7, in Isaiah 1, 11, and so forth, why are you bringing these sacrifices? I, you know, I, what, what does God say? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That, he says that to Hosea, but he means it for, through all the problems. And then finally, a lovelessness of violence. Isaiah talks about it. It's the opening lines of Habakkuk where the prophet is standing on the, on the ramparts of Jerusalem. Why, O oh Lord, do you let violence increase? And God says, oh, here come 
the Chaldeans, here come the Babylonians. And, uh, and Habakkuk's response is, I didn't mean that, have mercy on us. And God says famously, it's okay, the righteous will live by faith. Yeah, Habakkuk 2.4. These are the spiritual ev uh, events leading up to captivity. Just uh, the, the sort of newsworthy events of the day is that Nineveh had fallen, Jonah had gone up a hundred years before, preached to Nineveh, and the Ninevites had repented. But a generation later, a little bit more than that actually, the prophet Nahum, which is Jonah part two, Nahum had preached to Nineveh, you've just gone right back to your sinful ways and so now you're going to fall and Nineveh does fall. That's the collapse of the Assyrian Empire and Babylon is now on the rise. Then Babylon wins under Nebuchadnezzar, the crown prince, the Battle of Carchemish, which is way up north, 605 BC. Babylon conquered Egypt and everything that had been Egypt's is now Babylon's, including Jehoiakim, that puppet king that I talked about, third to last king. Um, in my notes, I... I, I, to help myself in, when I'm reading my Bible in margins, when a king shows up, I usually put my little note for who is he. So Jehoiakim is J18. That is the 18th king of Judah. You know, there's an I18, the 18th king of Israel, but Jehoiakim is the 18th king of Judah. Then Jehoiakim is the 19th king of Judah. Zedekiah is the 20th king of Judah. So there's an I, 1 to 20, and a J, 1 to 20. And there's a Roman numeral 1, 2, and 3. Who's the very first king of Israel? You remember? Saul. Saul. Yeah. The second king? David. So Saul, probably 42 years. David, 40. And David's son Solomon, 40 years. And then much shorter reigns after that. In the south, one dynasty. All Solomon's, David's line. In the north... No dynasty except one. Only Omri has a dynasty of about four generations and then he's destroyed too. Otherwise it was all pretenders and upstarts. Okay, the message of Daniel, the basic message, successive world powers such as Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome. Why do I mention those four kingdoms in, with, in a, with Daniel? That's the whole second half of the book, is, is, are those things, yeah. Um, those world powers will go down in defeat and disgrace, and God will have the last word. God will triumph. By the way, identical theme to what book of the Bible? Revelation. Revelation. Yeah, God will triumph. Jesus will win. So, those two very important books, which both talk about Antichrist and so forth, God will triumph. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Orleans, Minnesota.